This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Support for this episode is brought to you by Mrs. Myers. A delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything we make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived ingredients, our cleaning products work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. So bring a little bit of the outside inside your four walls and bask in the wonder of a garden from the comfort of home. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Shop now at MrsMyers.com. Need an extra hand with dinner? Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot, and Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to discover more. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm Ross Sampson Folk, and today joining me, a fantastic writer, somebody whose pieces I always enjoy, although they're not so often about the Raptors, mostly league-wide, Joe Wolfen, and not only writing for the score, but also hosting, co-hosting, doing podcasting over there for Pound the Rock Podcast. Joe, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Any fun tidbits about your life that you'd like to invite anybody into off the start, or do you want to get straight to basketball? <laughs> um, wow, you're putting me on the spot there. Uh, if I say I don't have any <laughs> fun tidbits about my life, then that makes me sound pretty sad. But <laughs> uh, I figure we can just keep it moving for now, I suppose. Keep it moving. A fun tidbit in my life is that I happen to read a really good piece on Aldridge and the ethos of how he decides to play basketball and how that intertwines with Greg Popovich. And, you know, it's a bit serendipitous that you happen to write that, but I think that's a fun tidbit of my life, and I'd like to discuss that piece with you. Is that okay? That's great, man. A perfect segue. <laughs> okay, perfect. So in that piece, you pointed out that Aldridge's willingness to shoot from outside overlapped with a huge burst in efficiency inside the arc for DeMar DeRozan. And there's other factors, of course, but that there is definitely an overlap there, and there is some, there's some reason for that. With the Raptors, do you see an intuitive play style change that can be made? Or have we already seen that with Siakam, for example, and how he's been able to stretch the floor? Um, wow, great question. Uh, I think the biggest like, kind of tactical shift that I would like to see, and the thing is, I don't know if this is actually good strategy because I don't know if the two guys that I'm about to mention could actually do this effectively. But I would love to see both Fred Van Vliet and Terrence Davis develop more of an in-between game. I think both of those guys this season have pretty much exclusively hunted threes and layups. And I think a lot of the time, you know, you see the Raptors go up against a drop coverage and there just isn't a whole lot that those guys can do when they're getting run off the arc and can't make their way all the way to the basket. And for Van Vliet, especially even when he does make his way all the way to the basket, um, we've seen, you know, he, he really struggles a lot 
to finish there. And um, I just think it would really benefit those guys if they had, you know, like a reliable floater or push shot or like a mid-range pull-up in their package to be able to take advantage of those coverages. Because a lot of the time, um, they're either sort of forcing a pass when defenses are playing them to pass or they end up pulling the ball back out and eating valuable shot clock. And the last time I checked, uh, Davis had hit three two-pointers this season outside of the restricted area. So he's really just like eschewing the in-between space altogether. And it's fine. It's not like super damaging to their offense, obviously, but um, I think it would be a nice sort of fallback option to take advantage of those uh, drop defensive coverages. I think that's a really good thing to point out as well. And maybe topical because when we look at how they played the Nets the other night, well, I guess a decent amount of time back now, but in that game, the big second half that they had, a lot of it seemed to be stemming from Fred Van Vliet's. He had a much better second half than first half, as did Kyle Lowry, but Fred Van Vliet taking more of that open space in the mid-range. I think he had two mid-range pull-ups in the second half. That affected how the defense uh, defended both his re- relocation and Kyle Lowry's. And just the way that, obviously, with Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan, they drop way back with those guys. You have to be able to take advantage of that. So that is, I do think that's a, that's a weak spot for Terrence Davis and Fred Van Vliet. But also, I don't know, what do you think is the toughest? Do you think it's tougher to establish yourself as coming into the league as somebody who, let's say, OG Ananobi, your three-point shooting is supposed to be a weak spot. It comes up and down with him, of course. Or with somebody who doesn't really have a mid-range shot, which do you think is harder to work into and develop? Um... I kind of think today, like the way that teams play defense, the mid-range might be more difficult just because like nobody's spotting up really from mid-range at this point, right? Like the mid-range stuff is pretty much always going to come off of the dribble. And I feel like it's probably easier to get just like the timing and the mechanics down of a spot up three as opposed to you know, feeling comfortable, not only getting to the spot, feeling like you have enough space to, to kind of stop on a dime and pull up. Like I think getting the rhythm down on say like a pull up two or a floater or something like that is probably a little bit more difficult than basically nailing down a stationary three where your feet are set and you know, you're getting the ball in a shooting pocket. Yeah. I think, I don't know if you noticed this, but it seems like people who shoot well from the mid range usually have a really good feel for the court. Think about Chris Paul, how incredible he's been as a mid-range shooter, and it's because he has this sense of where the defense is behind him and in front of him and on either side. And there's guys like an OG Ananobi and Norm Powell to swing it back to the Raptors who, when they get into the teeth of the defense, there's a lot of the time that they aren't sure what's happening behind them right. or maybe just a little bit to the side. And that makes it tough to go comfortably into a pull-up, I think. And definitely it's, it's much easier when you're a spot-up three-point shooter you have everybody in front of you. You can see just how much space you have to let it go. And it's, you know, the stationary shot. But like you said, you don't get to spot up from mid-range or hardly ever. So being able to go off of your own dribble and work that in is difficult. So it'll be interesting to see if if that's something that Fred Van Vliet works on. Uh, Terrence Davies, obviously, a little bit more time, I guess, in his career. I guess it depends on how long Fred plays, which could be a while. But interesting thing. Um, what do you think about... Because when I thought about the question that I asked you first, as far as Aldridge being used correctly, what could the Raptors unlock? It seems like the Raptors, 
from jump start doing that, right? That the Raptors, they have an idea of how they want a player to be used, and it genuinely seems to be in line with what the what the league right now deems efficient, right? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, if you look at, say, OG's uh, shot profile from his rookie season, it's, you know, the same thing, pretty much exclusively threes and layups. And um, I mean, that sort of goes hand in hand with just the kind of player that they needed at the time. Like they didn't really need an off the dribble creator. But I think you've seen once he sort of I wouldn't say he nailed it down. Like, I think he still has room for growth as a, a, a catch and shoot three point shooter. But like he's obviously comfortable taking that shot and can somewhat effectively space the floor, at least from the corners. Like now they've started to work in a little bit more of an off the dribble game and, and tried to let him spread his wings in that regard. So I think necessity is a big part of it. Um, and I think because Davis does have the ball in his hands a little bit more than OG did as a rookie, maybe even a lot more, that's why it sticks out a little bit more that he doesn't have that in-between game because oftentimes he is the one who's initiating possessions um, when he's on the floor with the second unit. So, um, and, and you look like the Raptors shot profile as a team is very analytically friendly. Like they, I think might even take fewer shots from like mid range and floater range than any team in the league uh, outside of maybe the Rockets. And so it does, you know, more, so go hand in hand, I guess, with the team wide approach. Um, I feel like, like this season, pretty much, it's like Ibaka and Siakam are the only guys who have really been permitted to to take those mid range jumpers. Uh, even Lowry, I feel like, doesn't even do it so much anymore. Um, but I just think, like with Lowry, at least, if all the other options are being taken away, like you know, he he has that to fall back on. And so I guess you do hope that with those guys, it will come in time. Yeah, and I think this transitions pretty well into something else as far as you and I probably both know that the mid-range is not something you're looking to establish early in the clock. It's not You're not running sets specifically for that shot, but it is really effective when you need to score against set defenses later in the clock, and a lot of really good mid-range scorers still have a place in the league late in games as far as that goes, and it still creeps back up in the playoffs. We saw Kawhi Leonard... Even Kyle Lowry, very important aspects of their game when the game got tough. And this makes me think about where the Raptors are right now and the hiccups they've had over the the last couple games. Well, I guess the last, let's say, 10 games, a few late game hiccups. Do you see anything predictive or troubling in those late game hiccups? Because I know you watch the Raptors and we've all seen them lose by one point, two points, and things kind of unravel at the end of the games. For example, the Spurs game, but... The, the scoring droughts earlier in the game or the late game uh, production, do you see anything difficult there that the Raptors will have to kind of figure out? I just think that once they're fully healthy, so many of these problems are going to go away. Um, I know Siakam and Powell were back last game, but I just think that those first game back after a long layoff like are always going to be pretty hit or miss we saw that when Lowry first came back he just had like a miserable shooting night and obviously that didn't prove predictive at all I think for Siakam he looked to have some really tired legs late in that game which I think is totally to be expected he wasn't he had a really really nice first quarter and then after that didn't do much of anything like wasn't really attacking the basket at all even when DeRozan was guarding him um, and then obviously misses that layup late and I just don't 
I just don't think that's going to be an issue once he gets his conditioning back and starts to feel comfortable, you know, playing 30 plus minutes again. And I think the issues that they've had playing against zone defenses are also going to be mitigated a lot when Mark comes back. It's like having that big playmaker in the middle of the floor makes it so much easier to bust that coverage. And, um, you know, I think ultimately I'm not too concerned. I, I just think so much of it has been not only the fact that they've been missing really talented players, but the fact that they like the lineup just is changing so often and guys minutes are going up and down and like the rotation is different because they're constantly either, you know, losing players or having to work them back into the rotation. And that's got to be a real challenge. Yeah, that, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. I don't view it as particularly troubling. It's just you look at Siakam, who usually hits that layup over Demar at the end of the game. That's the type of stuff that they're usually able to go to, and you mix that in with being able to run the Kyle Lowry with whomever pick and roll. Whereas in the past couple games we've seen before all the guys came back, it's just Lowry, Lowry, Lowry at the end of the game trying desperately to find some good offense. But now there's a lot of variability to their offense, or when they're healthy, I should say. And that kind of makes it seem like they'll have time to figure it out. And also you pointing to Marcus Gasol as far as the ability to be a conduit in the middle of a zone to connect all the different parts of the Raptors offense that sometimes feel, I guess, displaced. And that's that's probably I want to talk about that a little bit is displaced. OG Ananobi, as far as his offensive game, it seems like, and maybe this is just me, but it's it's not so much consistent. It's it just seems like his his spot on the team as a tertiary option is waning up and down, and so much of the offense can come through him, or so much of what the defense is trying to give can end up in his hands at times. But in other you know other scenarios with the Raptors, when they're playing teams, it's just sometimes he can completely fall out of a game, and so. You know, OG being what he is and with with his tool set and what he's able to create and as far as having an attacking game, being, you know, showing some steps this year. What what are the Raptors as far as what we're seeing right now? He's having some good games. He's having some bad games. But it seems like he's he's past that. He's had stretches where it shouldn't be as inconsistent as it is. That's something I think we ran into with Norman Powell for a while. What do you think is his ideal role on this Raptors team that finds a way to maximize him? Um, I actually think offensively it's fine as it is right now. I just like I would love in the future for his handle to be, you know, tight enough and for him to have enough confidence in it to be creating a little bit more often, to be running a bit more pick and roll and like to be a guy who can go and maybe create his own shot late in the clock and for now I still think his offense is pretty dependent on his three-point shot falling um, both just you know because a lot of the time like the ball is getting swung to him in the corner and it's pretty open and if he can knock it down great and also because like if he can drag a defender out there then he's usually pretty good with blow buys and attacking off of the catch um, so I still think that's just like a huge part of his offensive game and and if his shot's not falling then it's going to be pretty tough for him as much as he is still good as like a cutter especially along the baseline and even sometimes like when he just gets the ball if it's not a straight blow by like he has the strength to just like essentially bully a guy where he's backing him down and able to put a little spin on him and put the ball up and in but I think he's still fairly limited as an offensive player I think maybe they could like get more out of him at the defensive end by just 
playing like a little bit more straight up man to man coverage, it almost feels like they they aren't maximizing him when like take that Rockets game, for instance, when they essentially just like double James Harden at half court for the entire game and are willingly putting themselves in three versus four rotations like the entire game. It's like you have, I think, an elite on ball perimeter defender. Like, why not use that guy so that you don't have to put yourself in rotation all the time? I feel like, you know, with all of the different zone looks that they've thrown in, like you're almost not getting the most out of uh out of an elite on ball guy i don't know does that make sense no no i totally get that and maybe i phrased it poorly is that maybe not about maxing maximizing og because i i genuinely do agree with what you were saying as far as it's it's dependent on his three-point shot but we see sprinkles of other types of offense in his game maybe i was wondering about maybe i was trying to express a little bit of disappointment as far as when so many players went down and OG, when the offense is going through some droughts, you hope that he would get show up as more of a feature and you would see some weak side post-ups when the Raptors are on. You know, when there's an 11-0 run against them and he can find a weak side post-up and he can get the ball to the rim, something like that. Right. Um, maybe I just phrased that poorly, but I definitely agree with you as far as the Raptors maximizing him defensively. And that was one of the first features I wrote this year was that I thought that OG Ananobi had been a top-five defender for the first 15 games of the year, he had been truly incredible. And the Raptors obviously going through a lot of defensive changes and their personnel changing as far as that defensively afterwards. But I think the Rockets game is a perfect highlight of how the Raptors maybe aren't being risky enough with how they try and deploy OG Ananobi because they do have a guy who, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but you look at, there's different types of superstars who get their shots differently. So whether it was guarding LeBron James... Ingram isn't a superstar, neither is Karis LeVert, but LeBron James, Ben Simmons, Karis LeVert, Brandon Ingram, all these guys with vastly different shot profiles, and you can see how little they want to take OG Ananobi off the dribble when you see them guarding, when you see his tape of guarding them, and the stats and how he's played in those types of matchups are are super good, that it seems like it would affirm the Raptors' wants to try and just throw him out against really good players. Maybe we'll see something like that in the playoffs. But as for right now, I definitely agree with you as far as saying that he's being kind of underused on defense because a guy like Pascal Siakam or Kyle Lowry, really effective covering the back end of the defense. But OG Ananobi, probably more effective in one-on-one defense. So, I, yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Yeah, I think, you know, as to your point about uh, about his offense and the fact that he didn't really... Um, I expected him to pop a little bit more also with all those guys out. And I guess I sort of walked away with the feeling that he's just not that guy yet. And he wasn't quite ready. Like he just isn't quite assertive enough. And maybe it's that he's not quite confident enough right now in his off the dribble game. Um, Whether that has to do with, with off the dribble shooting or just being able to take guys to the basket off of the bounce. Um, Sometimes you see him like where he really looks like he gets the ball and he's like, I'm putting this ball in the basket and like nobody is going to stop me and he's able to do it. And sometimes he drifts and he just doesn't look like he wants any part of it. Yeah, that's that's the thing. And definitely, like you said, and like I already said, you said, but his dependency on either hitting the three or being able to attack and close out aggressively, that's that's everything for his offensive game. And since we see little sprinkles of it, 
you hope that those would grow, but it seems like he's more confident in showing off those types of the little parts of the offensive game that he's growing when he's surrounded by more competence rather yeah. than when, when it's not there. So if Pascal's in the lineup and the game's going well, maybe OG will knife into the lane, take a dribble up towards the free throw line and hit a, hit a mid-range jumper rather than trying to take it all the way to the rim. Whereas if McCaw is sitting up at the three-point line as opposed to Pascal, something like that maybe. And, and it's similar, I mean, you sort of mentioned Norm, I think, at the top of this discussion as maybe a point of comparison in terms of consistency. And, like, I think something with Norm is, like, when when he plays with the starters, I feel like he's way more effective. And maybe that seems counterintuitive because you're like, well, if he's playing with the bench, he'll have a chance to have the ball in his hands more often. He can create. He'll get more shots. But But OG, like Norm, I think is much better served when he is surrounded by other creators and he is attacking off of the catch as opposed to off of the dribble i I just think that's like a much better situation for him to uh to be getting his offense yeah well the next thing i want to talk about and i did talk about i just said mccaw's name and we did talk about terrence davis for a little bit regarding his push shot or middle uh middle mid-range game davis the second versus mccaw every once in a while there comes a time that a coaching staff bucks conventional wisdom and the fans and pundits think there's something there and they don't know why something's happening. Like Patrick Patterson, for a while, the Raptors fandom really wanted more minutes from him. They thought it's so obvious. James Johnson as well. And Norman Powell ended up being one of those guys for a while too. Now it seems like this is the point of contention with Nick Nurse. This is what the fans have the disconnect with. So obviously the coaching staff very confident with McCaw, really likes what he's doing and necessitates his minutes because of that. Whereas the fandom and pundits, not as heavily as the fandom, obviously, but seem to err on the side of run with Terrence Davis second, not McCaw. What are we missing with this one? If you were pro-McCaw, what would you say? Um, uh, It's, uh, I don't know. I guess it's hard for me to put myself in those shoes. Like, I'm not anti-McCaw like I think he has really like scraped the ceiling of his capabilities I I don't know that there's a whole lot more that he could be doing I don't hold it against him like I think he is essentially doing what he can and he's been pretty good in spots I have been delighted by the fact that he's shooting like over 40 percent from the corners Uh, but I I don't feel like it's been adequately explained by Nick Nurse why McCaw is getting more minutes than Terrence Davis. I don't know what McCaw does better than Terrence Davis. I guess, I mean, I know Nurse would probably say he likes McCaw's defense. He likes his size. Um, I think he feels maybe more comfortable with McCaw as like a, tertiary playmaker a guy who's going to make the right pass but i i just think like he's so hesitant to attack he's not really ever a threat to shoot the ball above the break and even you know i mentioned he's shooting really well from the corners but defenses still aren't paying him any attention out there and um if you look at like the on-off splits like they're very dramatic and mccaw has like the worst on-off splits on the team and davis has the best on-off splits on the team and so it just seems sensible that 
those guys would essentially trade minutes uh, and that Davis would be getting uh, more of them than McCaw is. And I, I'm sorry, like, I just don't, I don't have a great explanation for it. I wish I did, but I don't. Yeah, it seems like Nurse likes those horn sets. They run with McCaw at the top. That much is obvious. That's how he gets an 11 assist game. They're running a lot and he's getting opportunities to get guys the ball. But you wonder why Terrence Davis isn't able to do that because in those horn sets, if Davis sees something open up for himself, he might take that. And also, he seems like a better downhill playmaker than McCaw. When Davis is headed towards the rim, when Davis has the floor in front of him, it seems like he's making better passes when he's doing that than McCaw is capable of. There's, there's some players like Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, LeBron James, Luka, who make the pass that the viewer doesn't see. But usually the viewer can see the pass better than a lot of players because you have the whole floor, you have that camera angle, and you don't know how tall the guys are on the floor, right? Creating different, different lanes to be passed to. But it seems like Patrick McCaw just makes the pass that, that's right in front of him, and he doesn't usually make the second pass that the viewer can see or the third pass that Kyle Lowry can see that even the viewer doesn't see at the time, the guy who's streaking down the lane and suddenly Kyle picks him out. But McCaw, as far as how they like him as a playmaker, as you noted, the tertiary playmaking, I see it. I definitely see he is a a controlled passer above the break. They can run some sets and he can handle the ball up top. But as far as, like you said, the the on-off splits, the Raptors just don't play better with him. And Terrence Davis, as far as hunting three-point shots, having, you know, he has those types of plays where he'll come in for an offensive rebound. I, I actually like Terrence Davis's defensive rebounding, even though sometimes his box outs are a little bit, eh. But, he, he, you know, he's a big body. He throws himself at the glass on both sides. Mm-hmm. But maybe it is just Nurse, you know, issuing caution, just walking that out there with McCaw. But... I don't, do you think it's something like just playing the guy who has more experience? Could it be that simple? And if so, why? I don't understand. It's just something like that, like something that's such like a almost outdated like coaching axiom just seems so counter to what Nick Nurse is about. Like he doesn't seem like the guy who would just ride with the veteran just because. Like everything he does is kind of outside the box and about doing things differently. So... I don't know why this has become this sticking point for him. And like, I remember the thing with Dwayne Casey and why, you know, he continued to bring Pat Patterson off of the bench, even when he was starting Luis Scola and it was clear Patterson was so much better. And Casey's answer was always like, well, I don't like, I don't understand. Patterson is like thriving in this role off the bench. So why wouldn't I keep him there? And that, you know, it was just like, somewhat frustrating because I feel like it it somewhat missed the point of like what we're trying to do here which is like get the most out of this team and not necessarily this one player like yeah maybe if Terrence Davis was playing in a different role if he was a little bit like overextended say if he was playing more minutes and maybe like some other flaws in his game got exposed his his net rating would go down and he wouldn't be having the same kind of success that he's having on an individual level but I think the team would be better served regardless just because like you watch the minutes with McCaw out there and he just destroys their spacing like there's no way around it and the you know the five minutes or so that they went I with I I don't think they scored for uh 
a period of, of five minutes in that fourth quarter against the Spurs when it was a 17 to run, I want to say. I think it was 17 to I think it's 15 0 17 2. That was the run. I and think. they're just and they're just getting zoned every time down. And McCaw, yeah, he's making that obvious swing pass around the perimeter, but he's not doing anything to puncture the zone at all. And he's not a particularly willing shooter. He's not a willing attacker. He's not getting into the middle of that zone. He's just swinging it around the perimeter, making the obvious pass, and essentially allowing the defense to get away with ignoring him. And so, yeah, he is not making mistakes. But it's easy to avoid mistakes when you're not really willing to take any risks. And I think that's a big difference between him and Davis, who is very willing to take risks. And I think that's one of the reasons that fans have kind of taken to him. Like, he doesn't play with a lot of fear. He's extremely decisive, audacious. And a lot of the time it pays off. And even when it doesn't, like, he he was 0 of 6 in that Spurs game. And I guess that was the reason he found himself riding the bench in the fourth quarter. But I would still have preferred for him to be out there providing that decisiveness providing the threat of a three-point shot and you know essentially being somebody who's maybe going to be willing to attack some scenes in the defense and and get inside and spray some passes out to the perimeter yeah i i like taking the chance and trying to figure out early if terrence davis is closer to jordan clarkson than he is to you know a, a plus bench guy or even you know a plus starter i i like trying to figure that out because it seems like you more or less have what you want with McCaw. Or like you said, McCaw is scraping this his ceiling. We see him like the game on the 28th versus the Celtics, I believe. Lots of backdoor cuts, lots of ways that he's using his, you know, he's using himself on offense to try and mitigate the lack of spacing that he provides. So he's kind of explosive as far as providing cuts, getting in behind the defense, doing things like that, and that's that's the peak of his game. That's as much as he can do. And he can hit his spot up three-point shots, but as far as how the defense is going to respond to him, he can't change that. And so I, I, I like the idea that you would just see what Terrence Davis is, give him quite a bit to do, see how much he can take on, and, you know, he seems willing to do so. And he, he won't be afraid of it. You'll figure it out pretty fast, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think we would all love to find that out. And I just don't think there's much mystery there with McCaw at this point in time. And um, uh, I, I just can't like, I, I can't watch him try and run the fast break anymore. I feel like it's a turnover, like 50% of the time. And uh, I just, I don't know. It's like, you can use him in spots. Like when you, when you need somebody who essentially is just going to, like you said, play mistake free basketball and, uh, I suppose he won't like take too much off of the table, but uh, I just feel like it's it's limiting your ceiling a bit, and I don't really see the reason for it. Yeah. Well, the last thing I want to talk about before we get into the Twitter questions is, and maybe you can talk me back here, but and it, it makes sense that his candidacy, and I'm talking about Marcus Saul here, his defensive player of the year candidacy before he was injured, I thought actually should have been pretty high. He's been incredible defensively. Now the Raptors have definitely, they've had decent defense while he's been gone. They've, you know, they've been able to hang on. But if I were to tell you, hey, I think Marcus All could be a top five defensive player of the year nominee this year, what would you say to me? Uh, I, I don't think that he's played enough minutes, I guess. You know, both with the time he's missed and the fact that 
even when he was playing as as good as he was defensively, he was still down around. Well, I don't know what was he playing like twenty six minutes a game, something around that range. Like I, I don't know if um, if he's played enough to be top five, but like I was certainly thinking of him as like a potential all defense guy before he got injured. I just think that's tough because like center is going to be so competitive in that category this year. Uh, especially if, I don't know if you'd consider Anthony Davis a center. He, he hasn't played a ton of center this year, so maybe not, but like even then Gobert, Embiid, uh, Brooke Lopez, Adebayo, like there have been a lot of really, really good defensive centers, but, but I think Gasol has been almost every bit as good as those guys in terms of the way that he has quarterbacked the Raptors defense on the back line. And um, I think there's just like so much communication involved in a lot of, in a lot of the Raptors schemes that, um, that he is essentially providing and organizing them. And I think, you know, when they are bringing two to the ball and putting themselves in rotation and scrambling, he is always the guy, it seems like, who's just in the right place at the right time to snuff out 